Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Number 16, Pastor Bobby, what is it? That's right. He got it right. Hey, we've already dealt with the existence of demons, the character of demons, and the tactics of demons. And we've been the last uh, three times, whose county I am, on the history of demon worship. And we begin to answer the question, hopefully, uh, how in the world do we get into this mess where not only witches and not only Satanists, but now demons are not only infiltrating the world, okay, and explaining why it's getting so devilish out there, but why are they even and how they even get into the church, Okay, where that's starting to happen. Sounds crazy, but we've been tracing the trail of how that happened. It started in the 1700s with these guys, the Romantics. No relation to the 80s uh, pop group, for those of you wondering. I know you're thinking that. Uh, They were influenced uh, to think that uh, Satan is a good guy. And these are the guys that gave birth to eventually what we're dealing with today, Satanism and things of that nature. But they begin to veer off the scripture. And once you go off the scripture, you come up with all kinds of unfortunate uh, belief systems. So these guys were influenced, though, the Romantics, by these guys. No more at this point in the 1600s and then 1700s. And you begin to see people, they're not going to follow this book anymore. And it became in vogue that, no, 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 this is not where we derive truth anymore. And here came the rationalists. They said, here's what you do, that you derive truth not by the Bible, but by man's brain. At the same time, you had this group come along the scene, and that was the empiricists. And they said, oh, no, you don't negate truth by the Bible, and it's not by your brain. You do it by experience. And that is still going on, unfortunately, to this day. This gave rise then to another nail in the coffin and leading people astray, evolution. And evolution got people to further doubt the Bible as being the authoritative truth on all things, including the spirit world and things of that nature. But God created us in his image, so people, even though evolution came along and began to permeate the planet, uh, people still know that there's got to be more to life. There has to be some sort of spiritual element. There's got to be more from the goo to the zoo to me and you. Unfortunately, they did not turn towards the Bible, okay? They began to go into a different, quote, spiritual direction outside the scripture, and that is they began to seek truth beyond the grave, i.e., communicate with demons, supposed dead loved ones, and they're going to give us the truth about life and wisdom and direction, etc. blah, blah, blah. That's basically what we're doing. Then it came into a weird combo. It developed, and it's all going on about the same time. Secular psychology and secular psychology, the weird combo was this. They said, okay, we're going to try to understand man's brain and man's experience, not from the Bible, even though God's one who created us. That's where you should go if you want to understand. Right? There's, your, there's your counsel right here is what, you, what we do need. But they said, no, 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 we're going to understand man's brain, man's experience using man's brain, man's experience, okay, and spiritualism, i.e. demonics, uh, activity. Let the demon speak to us to give us truth. And as crazy as that sound, we already dealt with Sigmund Freud. That's exactly what he did. Also, Carl Jung. Both of them are not only drug addicts, but uh, I think they were also, uh, certainly Jung was uh, possessed uh, and based off of their writings, okay? Uh, But then we uh, continue to see that it began to, the spiritualism, i.e. speaking to dead people, which are not dead people, they're what? Demons. Because when you die, you either go to heaven through Jesus Christ, you go to hell, and you ain't coming back. Okay, hell, of course, if you reject Jesus Christ. But then this spiritual movement, speaking to the dead, that's where we're going to get truth about life and spiritual matters, got turned into a religion, mainly in Europe at this time, with this guy, Alan Kardec. Okay, and then it spread worldwide into the International Spiritist Council, 35 different countries, after he died with the help of his wife to continue on. Then last time if you were here, we saw now it became popular in where? In the United States of America. And that was done by these ladies called the Fox Sisters who although they were raised, quote, Methodist, which back in the day was sort of good, okay, today's like most major uh, denominations, 
but uh, they refused to listen to the Bible, and they began to try to understand and uh, basically build teachings of the spirit world, not from the scripture, but by their own experience. Okay, and then it didn't just spread from them. They got an invite directly to the White House, and this behavior went directly into the White House, starting with Franklin Pierce uh, via his wife, Jane Pierce, and then it moved on from that to Mary Todd Lincoln, and both of these ladies uh, had spiritist mediums come in, do seance, multiple seances in the White House, okay, to try to, to speak with their dead uh, loved ones and children, things of that nature. And it wasn't just America. This time it also was happening in England. Queen Victoria was doing frequent seances to try to, quote, communicate her beloved Prince Albert, who died of typhoid fever. And then it never stopped, is what we saw the trail. This demonic behavior uh, never stopped. And as you were here last week, I'm convinced that the White House is flooded with demons. Uh, and and I, that's not an overstatement. <laughs> we, and I, I can't, I'm not going to reteach it. You need to go watch that lesson uh, if you weren't here last week. But we saw it continued on with the uh, supposed ghost sightings uh, of Abraham Lincoln and the Lincoln's kids and then other presidents and then uh, first ladies and all kinds of stuff. And then it never stopped. This behavior with seances, the occult activity in the White House never stopped. It continued on even as recent as Nancy Reagan, who was huge into astrology. And it actually, believe it or not, uh, was how Reagan made a lot of his decisions was based off of astrology. Okay, And then, of course, it went to the Hillary uh, and the Clintons uh, involved in witchcraft, uh, even long before getting into the White House, we saw that. And then the Bush family, before and after the Clintons, senior and junior, they're part of the Skull and Bones Society, uh, not Christian whatsoever. And then it continued with, uh, guess who? Uh, hopefully that picture's not too graphic, uh, but uh, but I think the point is well home. There are all kinds of weird stuff going on there. Eight years of that, remember that? Okay, and then came, what, if you will, the aberration, the Trump family, who warned us that this place, D.C., the White House, is a swamp. I think he left out one word, and that one word, as we've been seeing, it's not just a swamp. The reason why it's messed up, it's an occult swamp. And now we're dealing with a Sleepy Joe, and Sleepy Joe made it very clear uh, who he was working with even back when he was running for the president. Again, this is why Washington, this is why our government is so messed up, folks. It's not just a political issue. It's a spiritual issue. And with all due respect, with Trump's new slogan, Save America, he ain't going to save America. Only Jesus Christ can. It's a spiritual issue, and we've got to get back to the true answer uh, if there's going to be any hope. Now, unfortunately, this kind of behavior, spiritualism, and again, why they call it spiritualism? Because if I were to come to you, hey, let's forget the Bible to understand spiritual things. Join us. We're going to actually conjure up demons and let them speak through us, inhabit us, and possess us, and they're going to give us the truth of direction with life. Most people you would think would what? Run. So let's call it spiritualism. But that's all it is. That's all that we're talking about here. This behavior moved from beyond the White House, okay, into the government, okay? It began to go to the average Joe, okay? And but before we get to the trail beyond the Fox sisters who encouraged it to go to the average Joe, let's remind ourselves once again why you don't want to mess with demons. Open your Bibles to Matthew 15 is our opening text, Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, and the faith of the Canaanite woman... And uh, let's turn there with Matthew. Once again, was written by Matthew. Matthew. That's right. Let's go ahead and stand. Matthew 15, page 1574 of my Bible. And uh, if you want to turn there, I don't know what's it going to be in your Bible, right? 834? You must have two, two, two font print or something. Whatever. Yeah, these eyes, I need 800 print. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but anyway, uh, Matthew 15, stalled enough time, verses 21 through 28. 
Uh, here's what it says. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession, right? Aren't you glad that that went away? It only happened when Jesus was here. Still goes on today. Again, and the same people who get their information from demons, secular psychology, they want to say that's not even real. It's just a psychological aberration. Uh, Whatever. Folks, it still goes on today. And dare I say, it's probably even worse. Okay. But from demon possession, and Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he, Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Healed from what? Demon possession. You may be seated. So once again, we see what is it? What's the one surefire way, right? You don't need to read a book about it. Have 800 different techniques. If somebody told me to tell you, here's the most effective. What's the one surefire way, okay, that if a person is demon possessed, how do you get rid of the thing? It's in the name and the authority of who? Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius. Jesus Christ. Okay, man, is that clear in the scripture? But unfortunately, as we saw, this is what people are not doing. They're trying to understand spiritual things, even interaction with demons or the spirit world outside of the Bible that tells us it's Jesus and him alone. And dare I say, once again, we're going to kick this, uh, including the charismatic community. The charismatic community, by and large, says, oh, no, no, we follow the Bible, but they really don't. What they follow is not the Bible. When push comes to shove, it is what? It is my experience, my experience. You don't understand it. I had alligator tears. God told me to tell you and all that stuff. I said, hey, whatever. But you know what you just said? You gauge truth outside of this book. And this is the value of sticking with the Bible. The Bible either says it or it doesn't. The Bible either confirms it or negates it. The Bible is very black and white. God does not speak with forked tongue. He means what he says and he says what he means. And that should be a comfort. You don't have to wonder what is true. What do I do? Including spiritual things. But here comes this charismatic community mindset, okay, which is the same fatal flaw that the spiritism makes. Remember the Fox sisters? They were, quote, raised Methodists, but they said, no, 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 we're not going to listen to what the Bible says, that God says, don't you go down this route. This is demonic. They said, no, no, but my experience tells me otherwise. And I'm telling you that same mindset is flooded today, okay, including when it comes to demon possessions. Two fatal flaws that the charismatic community makes is, number one, they say that Christians can be demon-possessed. Well, hey, don't scoff at that because my experience tells me I was there, you weren't there. That person, they've been going to church services for 100 years, and all of a sudden they were acting weird. We had to cast demons out. I don't care. The Bible says that if you're a born-again Christian, you cannot be possessed. So I don't care what your experience says, number one. But they do that, and that's the fatal flaw. You're now trying to gauge truth, spiritual truth, outside the Scripture. So that's fatal flaw, number one. Number two, then they say because a Christian can be possessed, which is not true, but their experience tells them it's true, then their experience tells you all the different techniques you need to get rid of them as a so-called Christian, which is not biblical at all. In fact, let me give you a picture. We saw this before in our charismatic study, but by the way, where we're at now, 
okay? And I'm trying to make the point, anybody, not just the spiritualist, but anybody who tries to gauge spiritual truth outside the Bible, you're always going to come up with some wacky stuff. And dare I say not just wacky, it's going to be demonic. But we saw this before. This is what happens when you try to gauge spiritual reality, spiritual truths, the spirit world, even demons, which is a part of the spirit world, outside the Bible, you're going to end up with going to a church service like this. Watch this. Demonic possession, the idea that evil spirits or the devil can move into human bodies, somehow occupy us, it's not just the stuff of horror films. In fact, to hear the pastor we meet tonight tell it, we've all got our demons, a statement that might not sound so controversial until you see how he goes about getting rid of them. I visited his congregation for our series, Beyond Belief. At the Agape Bible Fellowship in East Aurora, a small town outside Buffalo, an extraordinary ministry is taking place. Our church service is, is pretty, it's, it's normal. Yeah, we open in prayer, we sing praise songs, we uh, open the Word of God, most importantly. At first glance, that seems about right. On a recent Saturday, we visited Agape, and it seems like any other church in any other town. But the paper towels and shopping bags stacked neatly in the back of the room are a clue that something's different here. When they are brought out, it's a sign that the fireworks are about to begin. Most of our services are just a normal Baptist service. Until we get to the end when we tackle the believers. And when Pastor John says tackles, he means it literally. Agape Bible Church is a deliverance church where they say they expel demons through prayer. I bind you. No. I bind you. No. Now listen to me. It begins quietly. I command every demon right now to look up to the third heaven. But they leave through incessant yawns. And then sometimes they'll leave with uh, pockets of air coming up, burps. Or they'll leave with, uh, with actual mucus. Some of this is painful. Uh, it's just that demon having to leave under the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. By 9 o'clock, the room is filled with screams, moans, writhing bodies. Diane Kohler says deliverance has changed her life. Just comes right up, and um, it's such a cleansing feeling. It's uh, um, a relief. You know you're getting rid of these demons. It's just amazing what the Lord can do to get rid of these things in me. And if it looks a little off-putting, Pastor John says that's the point. People have to get over the hump of, this looks foolish. This looks like something I didn't do in church last Sunday. This looks weird. But God uses it, we find, to humble people for them to finally admit that they may not know everything and to, before God, be honest and say, I need help. For these believers, Pastor John's deliverance ministry helps with everything from sins of the flesh, adulterers, drunkards, drug addicts, to the surrender to the occult, I break any and all curses, to sicknesses, all spirits of muscle spasm, cramps, uh, restless legs, um, all the demons that are in the muscles, hemorrhoids. If you're breathing, you got them. If you're not breathing, don't worry about it. Everybody's got them. It's just a question of how many do you got? Oh! 
Everybody's got them, he says, including himself. Where did you get that idea from? It rhymes with not the Bible. But that's what their experience is. And then they build a whole doctrine off of it, and you wonder why, right? So according to this guy, the next time when I'm preaching, I see you guys yawn. A demon's coming out of you. And I don't have a bag up here. Or the next time you guys get hemorrhoids, you know what it is. Don't be doing no preparation age. That ain't going to do you no good. You know what to do. Because my experience tells me. Everybody's got him. He's talking about supposed Christians, including himself. It's just a matter of how many. What, do you, what Bible are you reading? You're not. You're gauging so-called truth, including truth about the spirit world outside of the Bible. You say you do. Yeah, it makes me do that too. But you really don't. So once again, let's kick it. Biblically, does the Bible say that as a Christian, you can be possessed by a demon? Absolutely not. All right. Biblical truths make it abundantly clear that Christians cannot be demon-possessed. There is a distinct difference between being possessed by a demon and being oppressed or influenced by a demon. Demon possession involves a demon having direct or complete control over the thoughts and or actions of a person, Luke chapter 4, verses 33 through 35. Demon oppression or influence involves a demon or demons attacking a person spiritually and or encouraging him or her into sinful behavior. Notice that in all the New Testament passages dealing with spiritual warfare, there are no instructions to cast out a demon out of a believer. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 through 18. Believers are told to resist the devil. James chapter 4 verse 7, not cast him out. Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Surely, the Holy Spirit will not allow a demon to possess the same person he is indwelling. It is unthinkable that God would allow one of his children, whom he purchased with the blood of Christ and made into a new creation, to be possessed and controlled by a demon. Yes, as believers, we wage war with Satan and his demons, but not from within ourselves. The Apostle John declares, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Who is the one in us? The Holy Spirit. Who is the one in the world? Satan and his demons. Therefore, the believer has overcome the world of demons, and the case for demon possession of a believer cannot be made scripturally. With the strong biblical evidence that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed in view, some Bible teachers use the term demonization to refer to a demon having control over a Christian. Some argue that while a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, a Christian can be demonized. Typically, the description of demonization is virtually identical to the description of demon possession. So, the same issue results. Changing the terminology does not change the fact that a demon cannot inhabit or take full control of a Christian. Demonic influence and oppression are realities for Christians, no doubt, but it is simply not biblical to say that a Christian can be possessed by a demon or demonized. Notice how many times he, what? You would think that's what you would do as Christians. Where do you base your beliefs on, including on the spirit world? The Bible. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. The Bible says this, right? You would think, okay, that's what, that's what we do too. Not everybody in the church does that. And this is what you're seeing with the charismatic community. That's why there's unfortunately a lot of false teaching, false teachers, and a bunch of baloney going on like we just saw in the video because you say you do, but you really don't. 
It's either as with the, the influence of the rationalists or the empiricists, it's either your brain or your experience. You need to get back to what the scripture says. But let's get back to these ladies, the Fox sisters. This is the same thing they did. Remember, they were raised Methodists. Even though they had to quote a church influence, they says, no, I, maybe uh, that's what the Bible says, but my experience tells me to go this way. And then that's what uh, continued uh, to spread, this spiritualism, i.e., by going into seeking truth on spiritual matters straight from demons with seances and necromancy and mediumship and all kinds of stuff. But they weren't the only ones during this time. There was a lot. These were the ones that got invited to the White House and started that thread, okay? But there was other people, including this lady, very popular at the same time. Her name is Cora L.V. Scott. You're wondering why is it L.V.? Because her full name is Cora Lodentia Veronica Scott. Try spelling that in kindergarten. I think I'd take L.V. all day long myself. But she was also one of the most well-known outside the Fox sisters, mediums. Now, what's a medium? Somebody that claims they could talk with dead people. And again, what's the scripture say? If you, I'm not saying you didn't see nothing. I think some of it's chicanery. But if you did see something or some apparition appear biblically, what's the Bible say? That's not a dead person. They're a person, when you die, if you're in Christ, you're in heaven. If you're outside of Christ, you're straight in hell and you ain't coming back. So if something does appear, it's what the Bible calls a familiar spirit, i.e. a demon. But this is what these people do. They say, I am in communication with the dead, i.e. a medium. I'm a go-between, right? And I can speak to them. And she was one of the biggest ones. Now, her, most of her work was done what was called by this. The other ladies, they focused on seance. Remember, that was a French word for sitting, right? It comes sit with us as we conjure up demons. That's basically what seance means, okay, in the French. But her work, this lady, and you're going to see a lot of them were also, another technique wasn't just a seance. It was they get into a trance. A trance lecturer uh, is what it is. And basically, they get into an altered state of consciousness. It looked like they were sleeping, and then the demons would speak through them. But of course, it's no demons, it's dead people. It's demons. Okay, so that's what she did. And then, while she was under this trance state, and these demons, of course, you don't call them demons, she called them spirit guides, or other presidents or famous people speaking through her, she would write books and things of that nature to encourage all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. So these are literally books written, just like Kardec, we saw before, he wrote five of them, uh, coming straight from demons. But this trance behavior, now again, this is in the what? This is in the mid-1800s, okay, when this is taken out, 1840s, 1850s, and things of that nature. Now, again, what is it? How do you discern truth? How do you get truth, including on the spirit world? You don't go to the Bible. You go what? You go to, I get in, go to a seance, or I get into an altered state of consciousness, and I see these visions, and these spirits tell me to tell you that this is the way we should go, blah, blah, blah. That's what she's doing here. Okay, back again to this lady, Coral L.B. Scott. But at the same time, guess what was also going on in her country? At the exact same time, we have the birth of the Seventh-day Adventist movement that led to the Jehovah's Witnesses, that led to the Mormons, and shocker, the early formation of the charismatic community. And they all have the same thing in common. We're not going to seek this book as the ultimate source of truth. We are going to go outside of that. And a vision told me, an angel appeared. The spirit told me to tell you. I was in this state of trance and, and then supposedly God spoke to me or this dead person. It's all the same pattern. As we saw before, everyone I just mentioned, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, all false teaching, false gospels, things of that nature, and unfortunately a lot coming from the charismatic movement. But back to this lady again, Cora L. V. Scott. Okay, I quote, a spiritualism first appeared in the 1840s, and guess where? Once again, the hotbed, New York. 
Okay? Not that there weren't other bad areas, but this was a big, and still to this day, a big hubbub of spiritual negative activity. But this is, quote, where earlier... So where she is, Cora L.B. Scott, quote, and this is from secular sources, where earlier religious movements also started, such as Millerism, which is the Seventh-day Adventist, started, and Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormonism, same place. And, quote, this region of New York State, where did Joseph Smith get his so-called vision? To create a new book, a better Christianity, supposedly, and we went through all that in our Mormon study. It was where? New York, the exact same area, but it's the exact same practice. And dare I say, anytime, again, you get outside the scripture to try to discern truth, what you could say you're a Christian, whatever you're not, what, you're always going to end up with something aberrant because it's demonic. Okay? But in this region of New York was an environment in which many, not just the spiritualists, but the Millerites, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, etc., early charismatics, in which many thought direct communication with God or angels was possible. Yeah, fallen angels called demons. So again, it's all coming out of the same area, the same time, the same technique. And then by 1900, Charles Parnum appeared on the scene as a so-called faith healer and began to teach that speaking in tongues, i.e. gibberish, the biblical version is always a known language, Acts 2. Uh, he said that was the evidence of having the Spirit of God. No, you get the Spirit of God if you're a genuine born-again Christian at the moment of salvation. But along with another guy, William J. Seymour, they launched a three-year-long Azusa Street Revival which as we saw in our 42-week study, Charismatic Chaos and the Untold History of the Charismatic Movement, uh, that still looked upon as a major watershed moment. This was a blessing to the church, and only if we could ever have that happen again. Are you kidding me? Without reteaching through that again, and I quote William Seymour, this is the Azusa Street, this is what, quote, they say is, this is where it all started, the Charismatic Movement. Quote, William Seymour kept his head buried in a crate, as he prayed, and then supposedly fire leaped off his clothes, the crate turned blue, and the crate became a point of contact for miracles. You know, like those guys on TV. Hey, if you sell seed to my ministry, you give $100, man, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you a miracle cornmeal packet. You're going to get some miracle spring water. That's right. I'm going to give you one of my handkerchiefs. I sweat on that sweat's going to turn to a miracle. And you just give me little pennies in your dollar, old granny. The same stupid stuff that's going on today, unfortunately, right? And you go, wait a second. So that's what started the charismatic movement. And notice the guy's not, he's got his, he had his head in the Bible, reading it, teaching it. No, no, that's, apparently that's too passe. That's old-fashioned stuff. I'm going to put my head in the crate. <laughs> now, we laugh, but remember, all the same time, all these other pseudo-Christian groups outside the Bible are coming up with their pseudo-Christian beliefs, including Mormonism. Remember how Mormonism started? Joseph Smith had his visions in a what? It wasn't a crate, but it was a what? It's a hat, folks. Same thing. And he peered in that hat until visions appeared, and that's where he got his false teachings of polygamy and Mormonism and a false gospel. It's the same exact technique at the same time, right? But this is what's going on. At the same time, there was, everything was going in rogue. Uh, get outside the scripture, don't listen to the Bible, and then they spiritualized, trying to connect with the spirit world, and, and then the so-called Christian version, which were not Christian, uh, they just say it's the spirit of God. God told me it was an angel, no, it was a demon. Okay, but let's get back to that lady, Cora Scott. She, again, was born in New York. Uh, she had a, what was called a call, C-A-U-L, over her face, which is an intact amniotic sac which the folks indicated that she was going to grow up to have special powers. Yeah. 
Now, again, you're going to see the same pattern. Her parents, they weren't Methodists. They were initially, quote, Presbyterian, which back in the day used to be pretty decent. And then they became interested in the, quote, universalist religion. So they showed their true colors. They weren't saved. Again, you can go to church service. That don't save you, right? Doesn't mean you're born again. But they went south. And universalists, all religions, you know, basically uh, get you there, the false teaching. The Scott family moved then from there to Wisconsin. And it was there in early 1852 that Cora exhibited her ability to, quote, fall into a trance and write messages and speak in ways very unlike herself. Sound like behavior today? Being passed off as Christianity? Yeah. At the age of 11, while dozing on her schoolwork in the family garden, Cora awoke to find that her writing slates... Now that's Dayton something. Remember those days? Right? Dot writing slates. You know what writing slates is? It basically is like a little chalkboard that you, that's what you had before you had all that fancy living paper and you know, notebooks and things of that nature. Uh, in fact, here's actually a little, little nugget there. Uh, you know, the Bible says that uh, God's word is uh, sweeter than honey. Right? A little technique back in the day uh, when, uh, in the Jewish history uh, is when they would do their work and their writing, their copying. Uh, as a treat, they would be able to dip into the honey. And that was their little treat for doing a good work and things of that nature. And what the word of God, sweeter than that. That was their big treat when they got, did something good. So anyway, let's move on. All right. Uh, uh, so excited and bewildered, Co, uh, Cora showed these slates to her mother. And the writing that was on those slates when she went into this trance and all of a sudden her hands took over, right? I've shared with you stories of people, and again, this comes from the charismatic community. I'll never forget, I was in Bible college, this guy came up, Pastor Billy, I went to this great conference and this guy, this prophet God, he did this and said that and blah, blah, blah. And it was amazing. He taught everybody how to, we, we, we were, quote, in the spirit. That's the phrase you always call it, right? In the spirit. Yeah, what spirit? In the spirit. And then, and then we, we, were, we were in the spirit and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, the, the, and of course you've got to Christianize it, the Holy Spirit made our hands right and we didn't know we were writing. And then we had to give that over to somebody who was able to interpret that. And then this is what my, what? And I came out of New Age and stuff. That's all this is, man. But this is what she was doing. But, but it was okay because the writing that said it was okay presented was addressed to, quote, my dear sister, referring to the long-deceased sister of Cora's mother. <gasps> well, it's got to be true. So the sudden need, she starts going into these sleep or trances. She's in altered state of consciousness, begin to increase. And then several of the messages also started to appear from supposed dead relations. And each one closed with the phrase, we are not dead. Yeah, because you're demons. But whatever. And then now with the blessings of her mother, thanks to, here it is, because that's so biblical what she's doing. Oh, no. Thanks to the reassurances of deceased relatives. Well, okay, like I said, they said it was okay. I guess it's okay. So she's doing this. She's now doing it multiple times a week and attracting crowds awaiting her messages that she's getting from the other world. And uh, uh, all kinds of people coming in her. In the early years of her development, she was also frequently taken over, quote, taken over by a spirit of a, quote, German surgeon, uh, which considering young Cora was not German, was quite a feat. Her Germanic guide would take over Cora for some several hours a day Quote, here you're going to see. And this is the other thing. Well, it's got to be real. It's got to be valuable, or in Christianese, it's got to be from God because when this is going on, people were receiving what? Supposed healings. Really? 
And so this is this spirit in her, and uh, he was uh, 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 going through these acts, and, and people were getting healed, supposedly, as they listened to this. And, and then the spirit guides that spoke through her, including this German spirit, a demon, uh, uh, they commanded that she be removed from school as the current teachings of man would do them in. And her mediumistic abilities would, would be no good. So soon she left school and then she began to speak on a, quote, plethora of scientific and esoteric subjects via the intelligence, here it is, multiple spirits. So not just one. So now in reality, the Bible would say, now this, if this is really going on, she's multiply possessed. You go down this route, man. I've been there, done that. Wish I wouldn't have bought the T-shirt. You're going to end up with more than one. And so now she's able to lecture extensively on any subject given to her, but she delivered these talks to the abilities of, quote, co-working spirits, some of them well-known. In fact, Cora supposedly delivered a lecture in one of her trances via the supposed spirit of President James Garfield, who had recently been assassinated. Wow. And so as her name and abilities grew, and after having moving back to Buffalo, New York, uh, at the age of 14, she was, quote, commanding large audiences and amazing the masses. And soon her parents began to exhibit her around the surrounding country. And in this way, here it is, she became a part of a network of trans lecturers, okay, that characterized the spiritualist movement. And uh, guess what? They started to make big bucks. Big bucks. She first got married when she was 16. Uh, to, uh, her husband, 30 years her senior, was a professional mesmerist. Remember that? We dealt with that a couple of mes- getting into hypnotism again, healing and then all this stuff, which goes back to the occult behavior that we dealt with in witchcraft in Egypt. Okay. And then, unfortunately, uh, they were divorced. And then uh, 23-year-old uh, managed to get three more marriages under her belt before she passed away. So again, you're seeing the fruit of this. Uh, It's not good, obviously. And despite her troubled life, Cora's large public lectures were a, quote, huge source of income and notoriety for much of her professional life. Now, after a series of spirit-guided lectures, demons, okay, in the UK, Cora returned to North America in 1875 and became, here it is, she became a pastor. I wonder who gave her the idea that ladies can be pastors. Rhymes not with the Bible, because that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, That is not at all what the Bible teaches. But this is interesting, is who gave her that idea? It wasn't the Spirit of God. It was from demons. Shocker. Okay? The opposite of what the Scripture says. Okay? And so she became a, quote, pastor in a Chicago spiritualist church, and she also supported a pantheistic type of theology. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, pan meaning all, that all is God. Okay. And also in 1893, she delivered a presentation on spiritualism, watch this, at the Parliament of the World Religions in Chicago. And that was basically the One World Religions movement. They did their 100th anniversary in 1993, the year I got saved. And it's basically all religions teach the same thing. It's what's called the ecumenical movement, that all religions are basically the same and we all just need to work together, and too bad we couldn't have somebody at the Pope to head the whole thing up. So she was there at the first one in 1893, given one of the major lectures. Who, who do you think was pushing her in the direction of all religions are basically the same? And what do we see in our James study? The latest stat, it used to be 25, then it went to 52, 
and it's right around now 70% of people who profess to be born-again Christians do not believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's the one world religion movement. That starts way back from here, okay? So then she died at uh, age 82 in 1923 in Chicago. But then at the same time, there was another lady outside the Fox Sisters, Cora Scott, was this lady, Oxka Sprague, Sprague, however you want to pronounce it there. Uh, she was another popular one. Again, the 1850s, all this is going on. She was not only just a translecturer, okay, get an altered state of consciousness and the demons speak through you, but she was a medium that they can, you know, your dead loved ones can speak through her, blah, blah, blah. She wrote on all kinds of spiritualist publications called The Banner of Light, The Green Mountain Sybil, and People's World. And she was from Vermont, and believe it or not, I don't know if they're scraping the barrel. You know, everybody's always looking, what do we do on our license tag? You know, Nebraska's the Cornhusker State, right? Nevada's what? The Silver State, right? Michigan, I think it's the Mosquito State or something. I don't know. They're state bird or something. I don't know what it is. Uh, but Vermont, what's in Vermont? I don't know. Well, they, apparently they love this lady, this lady in the occult. Uh, they, they think she's, she's it. She's, she's their big moniker, right? Come to Vermont and get involved in the occult, right? In fact, here's their video, proud of this lady and what she did in, her, in, in the state of Vermont. Watch this. So we're going to talk about Oxa Sprague, who was a spiritualist from the mid-19th century. She talked to dead people. So this is a great story. Um, so she lived, was born here, uh, taught at the Stone Schoolhouse here. She died fairly young. But I think the best place to talk about a spiritualist is at her gravesite. So we're going to go across town to the cemetery to go check it out. So my first question, how does one discover that they can speak with the dead? How did that come about? <laughs> so Axel Sprague was uh, living in the mid-19th century. She was born in 1827. And by the time we got to like the 1840s, 1850s, let's just say it was a, it was a thing. And often um, uh, women, young women, um, would go into a trance and would then become a, a vehicle or a conduit for a spirit to, to you know, embody, come through them and speak to an audience of people. And for Oxa, this actually came about after an, an illness, correct? She uh, had what we now think was probably rheumatoid arthritis, but she was quite the diarist um, and she, she wrote a lot of letters. And in fact, she, she has a poet too, so she wrote a lot of poetry and she wrote about this and she said, a young girl in a darkened room, chained by disease, a living tomb. Wow. So that was describing um, her, uh, her illness. She attributed um, the, let's say, remission of this illness to a spiritual intercession. She felt she was in the depths of, of this, um, this disease. She couldn't move. She was in pain. Um, an angel came to her, spoke to her, and she was able to move again. She was able to go out. And so that's how she became a medium. So she started speaking locally, and she became so famous that she started going on this tour. And she would travel. She traveled to Chicago, Milwaukee, and then back to Boston, speaking to huge auditoriums full of people. She had a huge fan club. Men especially would write to her proposing marriage and they'd never met her before. It seems that she may have been in love with one of these letter writers, a, a married man. We talk a lot about this, the spiritualism. She also was a huge proponent um, of uh, women's rights. You know, feminism, which we saw before, early feminists were all known witches still continues on to this day, not to redo that from a witchcraft study. But again, uh, you're seeing this woman has the right, the man, and all that stuff, and now you got the women can be pastors, and women... Anybody start to see a pattern where they're getting their information from? What's the fatal flaw? 
That didn't come from the Bible. And that's where it comes from. That's what these guys, they're always going to lead you away from the truth, away from the Bible. Now, while in the trance state, she would speak in front of large audiences with different voices of different spirits. So she was probably multiply possessed. This was going on throughout the United States and Canada. And also, Ashka Sprague, also uh, on her travels, lectured on spiritualism from which she got the name. And I quote, here it is. She is the preaching woman. So again, you're seeing that idea. Yes, minky again. And, and again, by nature of where all this is coming from, where's that idea coming from? Not the Bible. And it isn't just not coming from, not the Bible. It's coming from what? Demons. Okay, so what's going on? So the same thing that's going on uh, today. Then in 1861, after a harsh winter, uh, she died at the age of 34. But it wasn't just the ladies. There was a, another guy at this time that was really big, also promoting this, and that was this guy, Pascal Beverly Randolph. He helped spread it. He was born in 1825, died in 1875. He was a, quote, medical doctor. Again, come to these guys for not just advice on the afterlife and loved ones and what you should do and blah, 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 but medical, healings, things of that nature, the same pattern. He was a medical doctor, a cultist, spiritualist, and trans medium and writer. But guess where he lived? New York. Same pit, right? He was a free black man. His mother died when he was young, leaving him homeless and penniless, so he ran to the sea, became a sailor. Okay. As a teenager, he traveled widely as a obviously sailor due to his work on sailing vessels. He journeyed to England through Europe, even to the Far East, Persia, where his interest in, quote, here's where he derived his beliefs, and it rhymes nothing with the Bible, from mysticism, the occult, study in folk magic and various religions. Okay. And then he goes to Europe, and guess who he runs into? Alan Kardec and things of that nature. And so then he comes back to, guess where? New York. And then he starts a, quote, long tour uh, after his trips in Europe and Africa, uh, a public lecture. He first started with the African-Americans and then embarked on a public career of as a lecturer and a writer. And by his mid-20s, he regularly appeared on stage as a, quote, trance medium and, listen, advertised his services as a, quote, spiritual practitioner and magazines uh, offering his services. Do people... Uh, advertise their services today that come to me and all God will tell me to tell you what to tell this. And by the way, if you need a healing, you'll get a healing. Sound familiar? It's being repeated. Just slap with some Christian knees on it. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, now this guy did all kinds of things. He not only promoted spiritualism, i.e. I can communicate with dead people, i.e. demons. Okay, he was heavy into the occult at the same time. Shocker, guess who was leading him in that direction? Demons. Now, he was into what is called erotic alchemy, which is a fancy uh, way of saying sex magic. And he established the earliest known Rosicrucian order in the United States. So now, oh no, that's a secret society. So now you're seeing the birth of not just false teaching, ecumenical movement, female pastors, feminism, and getting people away from the Bible as a source of truth. But now you're seeing at the same time the birth of, quote, secret societies. And where's all this coming from? Demons. But here's a quick uh, clip admitting that uh, with this guy's background. Watch this. Born in 1825 in New York City, Pascal Beverly Randolph was an African-American medical doctor, spiritualist, trance medium, writer, lecturer, independent publisher, sailor, world traveler, and highly influential occultist. 
Pascal's name is one that far too often gets overlooked in the development and history of the occult in Western mysticism. Pascal's mother died when he was still at a very early age. He ran away and became a sailor, traveling the world over. He would study the various mystic practices of the cultures that he would visit. When he returned to the States, he became a medium and spiritual practitioner, indoctrinated into the mysteries by none other than Eliphas Levi. Now, if you guys recall Eliphas Levi or Levi, he was one of the early founders of Satanism. So that's who this guy got in contact and who was trained by. So in his addition, this Randolph guy, uh, to as a trans medium, uh, he was trained as a, quote, doctor of medicine, and he married his first wife, uh, Mary Jane, in guess where? New York. And she worked as a, quote, healer and a dispenser of Native American remedies. Uh, he wrote all kinds of books on his theory of health, sexuality, spiritualism, occultism, uh, he wrote more than 50 works on, listen to this combo, magic and medicine. So again, these spiritual techniques can give you a what? Not just advice, not just direction, healing. Okay? He had his own publishing company. And watch this. This guy birthed a bunch of stuff. But it, th- what's interesting, it tells you where these ideas came from. What was the source? And he was an avid promoter of birth control. Quote, during a time when it was largely against the law to even mention the topic. So where did he get this idea from? Demons. Interesting. Then he eventually founded the Fraternitas Rosa Crucis in 1858. Their first lodge in San Francisco in 1861, which is the oldest Rosicrucian secret society. And again, Lord willing, 5,320 years, start 900 when we ever get there to our next study on secret societies. We'll probably cover that. Uh, but that was the oldest group still to this day in the United States. Uh, also, his interest, this group, though, the Rosicrucian, based out of San Francisco, the oldest one, quote, avoids mentioning Randolph's interest in sex magic. Uh, but his uh, sexual magic theories and techniques form the basis of another occult, so he gave birth to another one, and that's these guys, the Brotherhood of Luxor. And, uh, and then... Uh, his sexual magic theories, if that sounds familiar, it should, because he then influenced somebody else that we dealt with last time in our Satanism study, and that was the order called the Ordo Templi Orientis, O-T-O, that was headed by none other than Aleister Crowley. So this guy had influence on Aleister Crowley, okay, which is, had an influence on not only Satanism, but also Scientology, Remember back when we did Scientology and the first three weeks was all in the occult background of L. Ron Hubbard and all his techniques was coming from right there, including the technique of, in Scientology, if you, the goal is to become so-called clear, okay, it's all based on levels and each level, if you want to become more clear to get the next technique so you can become more clear, you had to pay. Remember that? Where did you get that idea? Right there. Aleister Crowley is who Hubbard was in connection with doing these sex magic rituals And in order to go to the next level, to go even deeper and darker, he would write to Crowley. Crowley wouldn't give it up for free. He said, you want the next level? What do you pay me? Money. It's the exact same technique. He just turned it into a false religion called Scientology. So anyway, so we dealt with that. But that's where this guy is coming from, Uh, these secret societies, all this stuff. And now this is what's interesting. This Randolph guy, again, we're still on the Randolph guy. Not only promoted the, all this other stuff, but listen, he was also promoted this idea, this false teaching called the pre-Adamite civilization. I wonder where he got that idea from. And this is the belief, believe it or not, and some people, with all due respect, no, forget that, uh, some people actually teach this. 
in the church today that, quote, humans existed on earth before Adam. But what does the Bible say? Romans 5. Adam, the first man. I'm kind of thinking the Bible thinks that Adam was the first man, not following a whole other civilization. That's not what the Bible says. So this guy's the guy that popularized this back in his day, and it's infiltrated in some church circles today, and also the idea that the human race has been upon the earth for 100,000 years. Well, that's not what the Bible says. If you read the Bible, as weird as it sounds, we dealt with this in our creation studies, we've been here around 6,000 years. And not only the Bible says that, but it's backed up by science and archaeology and all that evidence that we did. But my point is, where is this guy getting this idea that there was a pre-Adamite race that existed before Adam? Demons. Might want to think twice if you're promoting that in the church today. Just saying. Do the, do the homework. Okay. Uh, and then it says, watch this, his book, and this is on the pre-Adamite race. This is Randolph. His book was a unique contribution towards pre-Adamism because it wasn't strictly based on biblical grounds. That's a direct quote. Can I tell you? He didn't get that from the Bible. He got it from what? Demons. Okay. He also died by suicide. I wonder who inspired him to do that in 1875. And one last thing, he also had another influence back to our Satanism study, and you saw her picture there, but the Theosophical Society was another major influence. As you can tell, that's Madame Blavatsky, early form of Satanism. She's so happy there, so fulfilled in life. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but anyway, so now during, here's my whole point. So this is when it's getting from the White House, the government, Fox Sisters, but all these other people, they're helping to spur this on. The average Joe, they're getting into it. These people are raking in the dough. Okay, now what's interesting is during this time, you had a guy rise up and expose a lot of these people, and his name rhymes with Harry Houdini. Now, if you guys haven't figured out the reason why it rhymes with Harry Houdini is because it was Harry Houdini, for those of you actually paying attention, right? Uh, and this is what's interesting. Now, again, he exposed a lot of the chicanery. Now, I believe that a lot of these people, that, especially what we've been talking about, I believe they were flat-out demon-possessed. And I, I don't doubt that they were hearing voices or seeing visions, but it ain't the Spirit of God, okay? However, this business of spiritualism became such a huge business that a bunch of people jumped on the bandwagon because it became, quote, very lucrative, you could make a lot of money saying that the spirit world's telling me to tell you or I can contact your dead loved one or God told me to tell you, and, oh, by the way, you need a healing? Just make sure you pay the fee. And there was a lot of money in this. Sound familiar? Still goes on today. It's just been repackaged, okay? Uh, but it became lucrative, and here comes Houdini exposing these ones that are just doing it by complete chicanery, duping people, Okay? Uh, Houdini was the son of a Jewish rabbi. He immigrated from Hungary to the United States. He settled in Appleton, Wisconsin. He became a trapeze performer in circuses at an early age and then settled, guess where? New York City. So he began to see this stuff. And then who better to expose them than some guy who does tricks, sleight of hand, all this kind of stuff, right? And so uh, let's take a look at it little quick uh, for those of you young whippersnappers here. Who's Harry Houdini? I still haven't figured out why it rhymes with Harry Houdini. That's not Harry Houdini. Emigrating from his home country of Hungary as a child in the late 1800s, Houdini settled in the United States. After an unsuccessful career, Houdini eventually started experimenting with escape acts. This is when his career really started to take off. 
By the end of the 19th century, Houdini was touring the top vaudeville theaters in America on the strength of his handcuff escapes. In fact, he even became known as the Handcuff King. In this particular act, he used technical expertise, physical dexterity, and of course, a bit of trickery to wow his audiences. He increased the difficulty of this trick by performing it underwater or by leaping off a bridge before his escape. By 1907, his wealth and fame were growing, and he continued to add new escape acts to his shows. The next year, he retired his handcuff trick, though he continued to place himself in increasingly difficult, unique, and dangerous scenarios. One of his most popular acts was the suspended straitjacket escape. The magician used this as a promotional tool, as thousands of people were able to see him at work. Houdini was fitted into a straitjacket and then hung upside down from a crane or a tall building. Onlookers were shocked to see him struggle to escape, but finally he would work his way free of the constraints and be victoriously lowered to the ground. He revealed some of the simpler secrets of his acts to fellow magicians in books and articles to spur interest in and the success of the field. Books like Handcuff Secrets, Miracle Mongers and Their Methods, and Magical Rope Ties and Escapes explained to readers the tips and tricks of the trade and helped prove that Houdini's talent was in his showmanship. In other words, he fooled people with illusions and techniques and things of that nature. So again, it was during the 1920s that he's now a professional musician. He began to become even more famous. He's now getting exposed to these people. And again, I believe a lot of them were flat-out demon-possessed. But it was such a lucrative business that a lot of people were just making it up and fooling people with a bunch of chicanery techniques. So here comes Houdini, and he begins to expose him. He was adamant, and he said, quote, Up to the present time, everything that I have investigated has been the result of deluded brains, is what he said. Houdini campaigned against so-called mind readers, mediums, others who claimed to have supernatural powers, but he argued that they were charlatans who produced all their effects through natural means and various tricks, and again, who better to expose them than the guy that did that himself? Okay. Uh, in fact, here's some of the tricks that he exposed. Watch this. The spiritualist movement is big business in the wake of World War I and the influenza epidemic taking millions of lives. Grieving masses are desperate to connect with their departed loved ones, and mediums claim they can communicate with them for a price. Houdini becomes the debunker, targeting the spirit mediums who are raking in a fortune in the 1920s. He believed in an afterlife. He just didn't believe that the afterlife could reach back to us. Houdini often attends seances to expose the medium's trickery. At one seance, he witnesses one of the strangest fictions that mediums parade as fact, the so-called spirit trumpet, in which the instrument seems to levitate in a darkened room and amplify the voices of the dead. Houdini sees right through the trick, and if he can slip briefly from his chair, he has an ingenious way of exposing it. A little bit later, the lights came on, and what had happened is Houdini had taken a handful of soot and put it in the spirit trumpet in the dark. And so after the seance, when the lights came on, the medium had it all over his face and hands and so forth. And it was pretty hard for him to explain how if he never touched the trumpet, he was uh, caught sort of black-handed, as it were. During Houdini's show, he actually showed some of the spiritualism props. One of them is a plum metal hand, just like this. What would happen is during the seance, everyone would gather around the table. The medium would say, we're now going to turn off the lights. When I do, everyone, please hold on to the person's wrist next to you. The lights would go out. The spiritualist would take out of their pocket this metal 
hand that actually is pliable. It's so pliable that the grip actually makes you feel the spiritualist hand is holding on to you. Just when you think there is no free hand of that medium, the medium goes underneath the table and is able to take a trumpet that collapses, they uncollapse it, and the weirdest noises and sounds happen. Then my favorite item that Houdini would show during his expose is called the extension rod. This is actually Houdini's very own extension rod. What I mean by extension rod, it extends and extends and extends and extends and extends and goes over 15 feet. And when you think that the spiritualist hand cannot have any freedom to even hold a rod like this, that's when the spiritualist makes the ghost go bump in the night. And just when you think things are going bump in the night, just realize that it's just a handkerchief. Bunch of chicanery. Houdini's uh, training in magic allowed him to, quote, expose frauds who had successfully fooled, listen, scientists and many in academia. His group, uh, Houdini's group, offered a cash prize to any medium who could successfully demonstrate any supernatural abilities. None was able to do so, and the prize was never collected. As Houdini's fame as a Ghostbuster grew, Houdini took to attending seances in disguise uh, to keep exposing these people. Uh, along with a reporter and a police officer, and Houdini's exposing phony mediums inspired other magicians to follow, including one not too long ago. He called himself the Amazing Randy. Okay? And believe it or not, he exposed that this same kind of chicanery is being used today, but somehow it makes it Christian because you slap Christianese on it. And uh, he, just like Houdini, exposed this. He did it on the Johnny Carson show. Here's what modern-day spiritualism raking in the dough, ripping people off their cash looks like, and they've just um, modernized their techniques. Watch this. You've got cancer in the stomach? Are you ready for God to burn that cancer out? man like Reverend Peter Popoff is a very dangerous man. In my estimation, he was a, a real scoundrel because he was taking people's faith in their religion. He was taking away their security. In many cases, he was harming them physically because he was convincing them that they didn't have to go to doctors anymore, that Jesus had healed them. If you've got pills as an act of faith, I want you just to throw them out the aisles. Those of you up in the balcony, just throw them So you have Popoff, who's going around a congregation and just seemed to be able to hear the voice of God and know all about people, even their addresses. He would call it out, everyone's impressed. Is that John 3784, Archwood Road? God is burning those blood clots out of his veins, out of his arteries. There it is. So he was doing a mentalism act, it appeared, and we wondered how he got the information. I'm sitting there, and, and, and after some of the emotion had died down in me, Popoff said, I need people to come down to collect money for him. And basically, he had 15 buckets. And I'm supposed to go around the auditorium and collect cash. God is touching that thyroid condition right now. And these people were throwing like five, tens, twenties, because 
one of the things Popoff always tells them, whatever you give, you will get back tenfold. So if you put a dollar in, hey, you're going to get ten bucks. You put a hundred bucks in, you're going to get a lot more money back. And these people truly believe this. Here comes complete healing in Jesus. You foul spirit of deafness, take your hands off this woman in Jesus' name. Lord, let these ears be open. There it is. And as I get up close, I notice in his ear that there's an earpiece. There's no ear hole. It's a little piece of plastic in there. And I come back to Randy. I says, I think I know what's going on. I said, what's up? He said, he's wearing a hearing aid in his left ear. Now, a man who heals the deaf, you wouldn't think would be wearing a hearing aid. Well, how do I sound now? <laughs> Loud. Loud. At that point, I realized we needed some technical help. So I enlisted uh, the aid of a private investigator named Alec Jason. I dressed as a security guard, complete uniform. Badge, shirt, radio, keys, everything. Another security guard. I just looked like one part of my cover. And I was nervous. I went down a corridor, and that's where I set up my equipment. She was sort of concealed as in bags. So I have my scanner going, and it's looking for new frequencies, anything new that's not there normally. Get ready. Get ready. Praise God. Suddenly, on the scanner, one of the lights came on, saying there's a signal, and the scanner has stopped at that frequency. And I hear what I realize are now footsteps, high heel footsteps on a hard surface. How many of you believe it's all right to praise the Lord? And then I hear someone coming closer, closer to the microphone, and the woman's voice said, Hello, Petey. Hello, Petey. Can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble. They were using a radio frequency. I found it. In the name of Jesus. Jody Dean. Jody Dean. Is it Jody? Jody? Dean? Jody Dean? No, she should be right there on your right side. Here it comes. Okay, she was at 4267 Masterson. 4267 Masterson. I can see the angels of God all around your house. Rosa? Kamir. Is it Kamir? You've been taking a lot of medication. She's there with her son, Kipper. He has a lump in his chest. Wait just a minute. Who's Kipper? He's got a lump in his chest. You want God to melt it right now? Kipper, stand up. God's going to burn that thing out right now. They filled out prayer request forms saying, I have cancer. I have this problem or that problem. So she's giving that information directly to Popoff. And then he's reciting that information as if he's getting it from God. Martha, of Is it Martha? Is it Sikorsky? Weldon Crab. Is it Weldon Crab? Crab. Peggy White. Peggy White. Thirteen oh five Solano. Thirteen oh five Solano. Turn over to the left. Hallelujah. There you go. That she's had a hysterectomy. She can't take hormones. You've got kidney and eye problems. You want God to touch your kidneys? Now let that ear open. In the name of the Lord, right now, Jesus. Power of the Holy Ghost. Here it comes in. She devil back off. Is the bondage is broken? In the name of Jesus, you foul spirit! That's what I'm, I'm getting out of here now. So I packed everything up. I, I turned the equipment off, took my bags, and I walked down the stairs outside into the cool air. My heart's pounding now because I've got the goods. Not only do we have the evidence we needed, we had more than what we needed. We had it. So I went on the Johnny Carson show, and when the revelation came and you heard Mrs. Popoff's voice. Hello, Petey. Can you hear me? If you can, 
Johnny suddenly realized what the gimmick was, and he said, oh. Turns out that God's frequency, I didn't know he used radio, yeah. is 39.170 megahertz, and God is a woman, obviously, and sounds exactly like Popoff's wife, Elizabeth. Has he seen this tape, though? No, he does not know about this until this very moment. I can't imagine what it would be like to maintain a life where your living and your well-being of you and your family depends upon you lying every single day. And yet, that's what he did. Until a Houdini-type figure came and exposed him. This is the same thing, folks, that's going on today. But if you slap Christianese on it and nobody learns their history... They're able to still do it today. Oh, by the way, how could anybody fall for this baloney? Can I tell you something? You say you follow the Bible, but when push comes to shove, it's either your brain or your experience. And these guys profit from that. That's why they continue on. You think, well, it's a good thing that guy got exposed and he's done. Have you seen so-called Christian TV? He's actually back in high gear doing the same thing. Yeah, that's the big thing. He's miracle spring water. That's right. Apparently that cornmeal miracle packet didn't work. Most people don't use cornmeal nowadays, but that was cool back in the 50s. Hey, but it's fair, you know, are you fairly, you give me what? He's doing it. It's like, how could this guy make a comeback? He's making a comeback. And once again, he's raking in the big dough. And he's not the only one. I'm telling you, folks, I'm convinced that all this is is warmed over spiritualism, slapped with Christianese, and it's just like spiritualism was back in the 1850s and 1920s. It's a lucrative business. And if you can Christianize it, then you're going to rake in millions of dollars. And the only way that people again fall for it, you're going to come on. You say you follow the Bible, but you listen to your experience or your brain instead. And that's what these guys bank on. And they're raking in the dough. Here's some other guys too that are still going to this day. Watch this. They are some of the most popular and flashy TV evangelists in the country. These men appear to have made a lot of money and they travel, well, like kings. When our Lisa Guerrero tried to ask one of these wealthy preachers about that, some might say she was treated in a very non-Christian way. There ought not be any poor among you. They're among the most popular televangelists in America. I just need more. I just need more. And they're wealthy beyond imagination. One of my chandeliers costs more than most people's house. I got 22 chandeliers in the house. They live in huge mansions, drive fancy cars, and forget about flying coach. They own some of the best private jets money can buy. I got an intercontinental plane. Pastor Jesse DePlantis zips around in this DeSalt Falcon 50 jet paid for by his church. Here he is boarding the plane with his wife for a short one-hour flight from Fort Worth, Texas to his home outside New Orleans. Estimated round-trip cost, $14,000. If he flew commercial, it would be as low as 180 bucks. My congregation is the world. I need the plane. He says his jet allows him to better spread his message around the world. And it sure has taken him to some pretty nice places. 16 times to Hawaii alone since 2006. I really believe. That if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. DePlantis now wants an upgrade to this $54 million DeSalt 7X that comes with lavish interiors. Only the wealthiest people in the world can afford such luxury. So for you that don't think I should have that plane, God told me to have that plane. 
when he didn't respond to our requests for an interview, I met him at a book signing. Why do you need a $54 million private jet? We're not doing any kind of interviews right now. I'm in a book. I just like to know why you need a private Keep your hands off me. Why are your people touching me like this? Because you need to Let go of me. The next day, back on the pulpit, he joked about how his security got rid of me. She's gone. Boom. I can hear her hollering. And I came back and said, what'd you do with her? He said, I made her outside edition. For $54 million, I want you to imagine how many people could be fed, how many homeless could have places to sleep. Ole Anthony and Pete Evans investigate televangelists for the Trinity Foundation, a watchdog group. They're extremely greedy. They don't need mansions. They don't need jets. <laughs> but when it comes to luxurious travel... Are you seeing this? I hope so. You bought it. <laughs> very few people can beat Kenneth Copeland. He even has his own airport next to his lovely mansion in Newark, Texas. Copeland actually has two private jets, a $20 million Citation 10 and a Gulfstream 5 jet that he recently bought from movie director Tyler Perry. He's flown his jets to his vacation ski resort in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, at least 143 times since 2000. So why not fly coach? Who better to explain his reasoning than to that other high-flying preacher, his good buddy Jesse DePlantis? This dope-filled world, right? Get in an air, get in a long tube with a bunch of demons, right? That's exactly the and it's, it's deadly. We caught up with Reverend Copeland in Branson, Missouri. You said that you don't like to fly commercial because you don't want to get into a tube with a bunch of demons. Do you really believe that human beings are demons? No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. If I flew commercial, I'd have to stop 65% of what I'm doing. How much money did you pay for Tyler Perry's Gulfstream jet, for example? Well, for example, that's really none of your business, but... Isn't it the business of your donors? Listen, he made that airplane so cheap for me, I couldn't help but buy it. Is it just me? Are there something weird with that guy's eyes? How do these guys continue? It's the same fatal flaw with why spiritism took off in our country. You say you follow the Bible, but you know what you really don't when push comes to shove? When somebody challenges you that, hey, maybe you're falling for a false teaching, what do you revert back to? Your brain, your experience, and these guys bank on it. And they don't just bank on it, pun intended. They bank on it. And then if you would read the Bible, you'd only see what they're doing is not biblical. But you'd see that the Bible tells you in the last days, these kind of hucksters would come in the church, right? Let me give you just one passage, Second Peter. This is a sign we're in the last days. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there what will be false teachers among you. And he's talking to the church. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to what? Secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many, not some, many in the church will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. And listen, here's their motive. In their what? It's greed. It's all about the money. These teachers, false teachers, will exploit you with stories they made up. God told me I was in heaven and the angels talked to me. That's all the same baloney. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. You ain't getting away with nothing. You might get riches here on earth, but you're going to stand accountable to God. I don't even know if these guys are even saved. They're in a heap of trouble. Either way. 
But Bible says in the last days that people in the church, many would be led astray by not just false teachers, but false teachers who would not go by the Bible. They would make stories up for greedy purposes. But how could people fall for that? Because you as a professing Christian either don't know your Bible or when push comes to shove, you rely on your experience. It's crazy. It's happening today. Unfortunately, even after all this, even after the work of Houdini, even after the work of Amazing Randy, this kind of stuff goes on, including spiritism. And part of that became popular even more so because of these guys. They were called the Ghost Club. Now, in the Ghost Club, they're on the far right. You can see this guy. His name is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes. And uh, actually, we'll see Lord Willing next time that he and Houdini used to be very good friends, but they had a falling out over this issue. Okay, But this Ghost Club were some of the elites who brought spiritualism, this demonic belief, into the literary movement, the medical movement, and the scientific communities. And some of the most well-known members of this ghost club were other people, not just Conan Doyle of the Sherlock Holmes series, but Charles Dickens, Pierre and Marie Curie, and, quote, Thomas Edison, who wanted to develop a spirit phone, a spiritual device that would summon the, the, to the living the voices of the dead and record them. What? But we're out of time. We'll get to that, Lord, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ... Uh, it has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. 
uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, Uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. 
please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.